and hopefully our faith is always deconstructing and reconstructing. Yeah. I mean, that's what living faith looks like. Um, if it's stale, if it's staying the same, you might wonder if it's still living. Mm. Um, so just, just that um, wondering about that. And, and one of the ways that we do, um, that we are faithful to our children and their faith formation, even as ours may be quite fluid, is we help them to build a container to hold their faith. So mm. by you naming Jesus, you're giving her a container. Mm. And what we do is we give the container, but we keep the lid off mm. because you want her to deconstruct her faith at some point, right? Yeah. Yeah. But you've got to give her a container to hold her experience and to make mm -hmm. meaning. And so by using Jesus language, that's exactly what you do. And mm. by showing her, you know, the variants of experiences of Jesus, that's exactly what you're doing. And we bring a new doctor into our convention. The sun did not shine, it was too wet to play. So we sat in the house all the cold wet day. I sat there with Sally, we sat there, we too. And I said, how I wish we had something to do. Too wet to go out, too cold to play ball. So we sat in the house and did not think at all. So all we could do was sit, 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 sit. And we did not like it, not one little bit. Boom! Something went bum. Friends, welcome back to the What If Project podcast. My name is Glenn, and uh, this is episode number 110, and it's my conversation with Lacey Borgo, uh, who wrote a really cool book called Spiritual Conversations with Children. And so if you have children of any age, if you have children in your life of any age, if you know somebody who has children, you're thinking about having children, you want to have children, you're around children, uh, this is a really great uh, conversation. She gives us some very, very practical wisdom uh, to put into practice about how to talk to kids about spiritual things, whether they're five, they're six, they're eight, they're 10, they're 12, they're 15, they're 18. How do you talk to your kids about God? Uh, so I got very real with her in this episode. I have, we have a three-year-old daughter, my wife and I, her name is Jordan. And uh, I'm at this place where I'm trying to figure out how do I talk to her about God? Like, what does that look like? And I talk about this in the episode, but I have like all these seminary degrees. Like if anybody should be able to talk to somebody about God, it should be me. But when I sit down with my kid, I'm like, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to say, you know? So uh, she gives some really good advice. And uh, I, I had a few aha moments in the episode. I actually had to like, uh, edit out some of the longer pauses because she would say something and I'd be like, huh? Hmm. Like I never thought of that. And it'd be a very long, awkward pause, which is great if you're having a conversation, but I had to remember, oh yeah, we're recording a conversation for other people to listen to. So let me rein in my mind before it goes too far uh, down the rabbit hole. So anyway, really good stuff coming up uh, in this episode, but a few things real quick. Uh, number one, what is the What If Project podcast? Uh, we haven't really talked about that in an intro in a while, and I know we have a lot of new people who are jumping on to to listen to the show, uh, so thank you and uh, welcome. But the What If Project, basically we ask the question, we explore the question, uh, what if there are ways of thinking about God and faith and spirituality and the Bible and prayer and theology and Jesus, and the cross, and like all the different things 
that are different than the ways in which our traditions have handed us. And so a lot of people, uh, kind of like myself, grew up, a lot of people listen to the podcast, grew up in the the conservative evangelical church, uh, believing a certain way, thinking a certain way about God and the Bible. And we're in this phase of, I don't know, faith evolution, deconstruction, reconstruction, whatever, whatever classy term you want to attach to it. And we're just rethinking things. And so this is a, a safe place uh, to do that thinking, to do that exploring, to do that wondering, to ask those questions. And so so welcome. We talk about all different sorts of things here, whether it's hell, Jesus, it's the cross, it's LGBTQ inclusion slash exclusion and that whole topic. Uh, we tackle some things regarding race, uh, all different sorts of things. So uh, welcome. Welcome to the fun. You can head over to Facebook, uh, look up What If Project Community, and we have a, a closed Facebook group there with about 180 people in it who are asking those questions, exploring, uh, and nobody's trying to convert anybody or shame anybody to think a certain way. Everybody's just kind of cheering each other on uh, in their walk with with God and uh, in their spiritual journey and sharing resources and ideas and all sorts of stuff. So head over there and uh, check that out. Speaking of uh, topics in the fall, September, October, November, we have a a huge series coming up called To Hell with Hell, where we're going to tackle the very big, emotional, uh, no pun intended, hot topic of of hell. Uh, We're bringing on all different voices to share different ideas and I was originally going to do it, it's eight parts. I was originally going to do it just in September and October. But I'm going back and listening to some of the episodes, and they're very big, meaning that there's a lot of information in these episodes. They're about an hour long, 45 minutes to an hour, like normal. But the topic is heavy. And it's really, even me, like talking to some of these people, like is really messing with my mind, trying to hear what they're saying in relation to the way that I was raised. Uh, to think about hell, what I was taught about hell. And so I want to give some space uh, for people to digest what they hear. So the series is going to run every other week. And in the off weeks, there'll be new episodes, but it won't be part of the hell series. It'll just be something something else like we're doing for the summer, just a random conversation with somebody about some kind of important topic. So it'll run every other week, starting in September, all the way through the end of November, um, and it might even run into December. There's a couple other uh, people who I, I want to maybe bring on to the show for this uh, series. So stay tuned. But definitely September through the end of November. And then every other week, the weeks in between the off weeks will be um, some other kind of conversation that's not about hell. So you can have the time to digest and think about uh, the different things that you're being uh, presented with in the hell in the hell series. So look forward to that. Again, it'll be the first Monday in September. I don't know what date that is, but that's when it's all it's all beginning. So look forward to that. Uh, a few other things, Patreon, patreon.com slash whatifproject is a place where you can go to support the show financially. So if this has encouraged you, inspired you, pushed you forward in your faith, uh, consider throwing a couple bucks at it, anywhere from $3 a month up to $20 a month. Every tier gets its own reward. Then lastly, uh, special music today. Since it's since we're gonna be talking about kids and uh, children, we're gonna we're gonna have special music today from uh, one of my daughter's favorite uh, current musical talents. His name is West Tank. Uh, West Tank. If you don't know, go to YouTube, search him. 
he uh, wraps Dr. Seuss books. Uh, crazy, crazy stuff. So we found him like early on when the pandemic started during all the quarantining and stuff. And there's like a bunch of things going around Facebook. Like West Tank is like the guy you didn't know you needed uh, during quarantine and super, super amusing stuff. But he wraps all the Dr. Seuss books like Fox and Socks, Green Eggs and Ham, One Fish, Two Fish or Red Fish, Blue Fish, whatever book that is, uh, all of them. So go check it out. And I found him on Facebook and I reached out to him. I'm like, hey, I have this podcast and my daughter's three and she like adores your stuff. So I don't know. Can I like use your stuff in my podcast? He's like, sure. So he sent me all the MP3 files. Now we're friends on Facebook and uh, really good, good stuff. So you're going to hear now, uh, you're going to hear Green Eggs and Ham. And then at the end, uh, you're going to hear Fox and Socks because those are Jordan's uh, two favorite uh, West Tank classic songs. So all that to say again, uh, thank you so much for dropping by. Uh, you are the best. I love you. And uh, this is episode number 110, and it's my conversation with Lacey Borgo. Enjoy. I am Sam, Sam I am, that's Sam I am, that's Sam I am. I do not like that Sam I am. Do you like green eggs and ham? I do not like them Sam I am. I do not like green eggs and ham. Would you like them here or there? I do not like them here or there. I would not like them anywhere. I do not like green eggs and ham. I do not like them Sam I am. Would you like them in a house? Would you like them with a mouse? I do not like them in a house. I do not like them with a mouse. I do not like them here or there. I do not like them anywhere. I do not like green eggs and ham. I do not like them Sam I am. Would you beat them in a box? Would you beat them with a box? Not in a box. Not with a box. Not in a house. Not with a mouse. I would not eat them here or there. I would not eat them anywhere. I do not like green eggs and ham. I do not eat them Sam I am. Would you, could you win a car? Eat them, eat them. Hey everybody, welcome back to the podcast. Today we're sitting down with my friend, Dr. Lacey Borgo, who wrote a book called Spiritual Conversations with Children, uh, subtitled Listening to God Together. So Lacey, welcome to the podcast. I'm super excited to chat with you. Oh, so, so good to be here and, and good to be having conversation with people who I don't live with right now, Frank. Right. You know, just a little break, you know, expanding <laughs> expanding conversation partners is, is important. <laughs> that's right. Quarantine time, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's exactly right. So uh, before we jump into the book, I have, a, I have a lot of questions. Uh, maybe talk to us a little bit about yourself. For those who aren't familiar with you, maybe haven't heard of you uh, or your work, you know, who are you? What do you do? Some of the highlights of your story. Sure. Well, um, I'm a spiritual director. So um, I sit with people one with one and help them give attention and intention to their life with God. Hmm. So I sit with people, missionaries, pastors, people who um, have no faith tradition or no, um, just, just those who are desiring someone to accompany them hmm. um, in their spiritual life. And so I sit with people all over the world, but I also sit with children which is uh, unique. Not many spiritual directors sit with children um, and I sit with them and um, we give attention and intention to their life with God at a at Haven House, which is mm. a transitional facility for homeless families in our area. So, um, so I am a spiritual director. Um, I also am a seminary professor. So I teach at a, a class at Fuller. I teach with Portland Seminary, mm. 
and I teach with Renovari. And uh, so those are sort of my ministry outlets. And then um, I'm a mom and hmm. a wife and a daughter <clears throat> and a friend. And um, those are the those are the real spiritual formation places for sure. How did you get in the spiritual direction? Oh, that's such a great question. Um, I had gone through two years of the uh, Renovari Spiritual Formation Institute hmm. um, and sat under the teachings of Dallas Willard and Richard Foster. And um, so I noticed something was stirring in me. Hmm. And so I spent about nine months with my own spiritual director, realizing that I actually had been accompanying people in their life with God my whole life. So even as a child, I would come alongside people and ask questions and wonder about things with them, about their own life with God. Mm. And uh, I, my teaching is, 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 is sort of in that way. So I accompany people as I teach. Mm. I'm not very authoritarian. I'm just kind of right at the elbow. Um, and I noticed that this is just how, how I was in my life. And I didn't know it had a name. Um, I grew up, my um, home spiritual uh, tradition is Southern Baptist. So I grew up, I was born and raised Southern Baptist, and we didn't have that. We didn't yeah. have spiritual directors. So I didn't have a name for it until I got out into the world and, uh, you know, met the rest of the family. How do you know you need like spiritual direction? Where How does that like, let's say somebody is listening to this and they're like, hmm, spiritual direction. Like, how do you know that that's a need that you might have in your life? Early in ancient Christian spirituality, um, mm. spiritual direction sort of comes from the desert fathers and mothers. Mm. They accompanied people and helped them to listen deeply to what God was inviting them to. Mm. So, I, I mean, this is going to sound so, so incredibly like um, self, um, sort of self-enabling. Right. I think everyone needs a spiritual director. Yeah. I mean, there are particular mm. times in our lives when it's more acute um, so in um, seasons of doubt or transition, um, right now actually is a great time to have a spiritual director is what, what is happening in the world mm. with COVID and even Black Lives Matter. Um, the spirit is inviting us to things, mm. inviting us. And so to have someone accompany us in our life with God, that helps us to listen to those invitations. Hmm. Yeah, it's nice to have like an outside perspective, I think, because I know like for myself, I get, you get very alone with your thoughts about God and like where God is and what God is doing. And sometimes when you bring in that outside voice, it's been my experience that that person can see things that maybe you haven't seen and you're able to see God together. Right. Yeah. And, and two, if we, you know, if we go to people within our community, it's important to sort of find your director outside of your community hmm. because then they don't have like a dog in the fight. Right. Right. You know, they don't know any of the people. That, yeah. So their, their attention to you is, isn't complicated. It's, hmm. it's, it's not competing for anything else. It can just be purely helping you hear God. That's really good. So your book, um, your yeah. book intrigued me, uh, Lacey, especially the book title, because um, as I mentioned before we hit record, uh, my wife and I have a three-year-old daughter named Jordan. And if I could be really vulnerable with you for a moment, I, I struggle a lot with how to talk to her about God. And that feels really odd for me because I grew up in the church, um, yeah. 
private Christian school from the fourth through twelfth grade with you know Bible classes every day, chapel every Thursday, four years of Bible college. I've pastored churches. I went back to seminary for three years. Like, and so it feels weird for me to say that I struggle with how to talk to my child about God. And I, I mainly do because I'm in the midst of what I would call like a faith deconstruction or evolution, where I'm just rethinking a lot of the finer points of my own theology and my own understanding of God. And I think that's where a lot of our listeners are um, as well. And so maybe we could start there. Like, I guess my first question for you would be, can you talk to parents who are listening right now, like parents who feel that like I need to have a conversation with my child or I want to talk to them about God, but for whatever reason, they feel unequipped. They feel uncertain of what to say. Maybe they're not even too sure what they think of God. So how can I explain God to my, to my child? Like, where do they, where do they begin? So like, what's your advice for those parents? Oh, that's such a great question. That's a loaded question. <laughs> it is. It is. There are so many layers to that. Yeah. And, um, and I, I think the first, I'd just like to begin with the transcendentals. So mm. goodness, beauty, and truth. So God has given God's self to all of the entire universe, really. And those look like goodness, beauty, and truth. And by truth, I mean things that are authentic and real, things that hold. So helping our children begin to notice and name goodness, beauty, and truth. Mm. I mean, even when I, as I accompany people through major shifts in their theology, in their thinking, in their um, religious belief, in their encounters with God, even as those shape, uh, shift and form throughout our lives, the transcendentals remain, mm. goodness, beauty, and truth. So, so those are wonderful things to begin to ask our children, where do you notice that? Where do you notice, you know, at the end of the day or in the car, or what, can you tell a story? And stories shape our lives and they shape how we make meaning of the world. Mm. So can you tell a story about something good that happened today? Mm. Can you tell a story about something beautiful that you saw? Can you tell a story about something true, something lasting? Especially that truth and lasting piece is an important piece right now for resiliency for our children. Mm. Um, as so much as, you know, their regular routine, school, they've just had to, congratulations, parents, by the way, for making it through pandemic school. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Please engage in some um, reward therapy for yourself. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> uh, whatever drink or carbohydrate is for you, you know, do that. Go to town. And, yeah. yeah, that's right. <laughs> but helping our children see what has held center, what remains. And then helping them make meaning out of that. And that means just by inviting them to tell the story. Mm. And, and what happens when we invite them to tell those stories, it lays down a neurological footprint in the brain. So we, we, we engage them and invite them in the telling. And then we mirror back what they've heard. Mm. And, not, and not just mirror back in terms of, you know, the exact word and phrase, but with a with the generosity and love that we feel towards them. Mm. And so then that helps them to listen. So they hear it again. And it's another neurological footprint in the brain. Yeah. It's just the act of savoring and it literally shapes and transforms our mind. Mm. I like that. One of the things that we've been doing um, at night as a result of reading your book, I actually got this idea from your book is every night at dinner, we 
we go around the table and we talk about, you know, what's, what was your favorite part of the day? Uh, what made you laugh today? And what made you sad today? And then every, you know, I go and then Jordan goes and Dana goes, my wife. And so we, we added a, another question to the uh, kind of the, the rotation. And that is, you know, where did you see Jesus today? Uh-huh. And, or where did you feel Jesus today? And when, the first time we asked her, she just like kind of looked at us. I didn't really know what to say. So uh, we've been trying to model for her, like what, what it is. Like maybe like Dana might say, my wife will say, well, I saw Jesus and daddy today because daddy did, you know, A, B and C to help me. Or I'll say, no, I saw Jesus today in a coworker who um, I was stuck with something at work on the phone and I was able to call this person and they helped me, you know, just like Jesus helps us. So she's starting to like grasp that. And now she's coming up with her own answers to the questions, which is interesting. So I think that she's like starting to get it, you know? So I think that's a really good idea. And I also love how, and I mean, this is, this is when we notice that we're in our own and hopefully our faith is always deconstructing and reconstructing. Yeah. I mean, that's what living faith looks like. Hmm. Um, If it's stale, if it's staying the same, you might wonder if it's still living. Hmm. So just just that um, wondering about that, and, and one of the ways that we do um, that we are faithful to our children and their faith formation, even as ours may be quite fluid, is we help them to build a container to hold their faith. So mm. by you naming Jesus, you're giving her a container, and what we do is we give the container, but we keep the lid off mm. because you want her to deconstruct her faith at some point. Right. Yeah, yeah. But you've got to give her a container to hold her experience and to make mm-hmm. meaning. And so by using Jesus language, that's exactly what you do. And mm-hmm. by showing her, you know, the variance of experiences of Jesus, that's exactly what you're doing. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Thank you. Yeah. It's like, you know, we'll try to say like, uh, maybe I saw Jesus in somebody or maybe yeah. I saw Jesus in the flowers that are blooming outside. Like it made me feel very happy. It made me feel very peaceful. And I think that, like you said, if we can show her that God can be experienced in different people and different things in different ways, even sometimes in our sadness, right? Like even in the things that make us sad, we might feel the comfort of God. So I think that the more we use that language, I'm hoping that she'll just continue to catch on. And like you said, that container will be there for her to fill up and then deconstruct some point down the road, you know, as well. Wonderful. So you have this quote in chapter three, and I want to read it real quick for our listeners. And maybe you could take us a little bit deeper, but you say, when children begin to recognize God's activity, uh, they will respond in the way they have responded to significant people in their lives. For children, the people who have most affected their lives are often one or both of their parents, grandparents, and siblings. A child's picture of God is in part formed from their interactions with their most dominant parents. So maybe talk to me a little bit about that. Does this mean that like my daughter's picture of God will have a striking relationship to her picture of me and, and my wife. Like, will she feel connected to God only as much as she feels connected to us? Am I understanding that right? Yes, that is what the research says. Hmm. And I want to give a caveat. Yeah. Um, that is abs- that is true. And, and when I first came across that research, um, it was part of my doctoral work. Um, and, and it's in lots and lots of places. It's been tried and tested and understood. 
Um, I laid on the couch and cried for like a week. I almost um, did too when I read that. <laughs> I, and I fought it and I tried to find all the places where this wasn't true. Mm. <laughs> it just myths me. Yeah. Um, it makes me sad and angry and all sorts of things. Mm. So, so I wonder if, um, you know, in, in maybe the cruciformed matter, um, in the cruciformed way, we can hold that truth. Hmm. along with the truth that the God of the universe longed every person into existence hmm. and that a child's relationship with God is something um, that is way beyond um, human uh, uh, parent, I would say parent, grandparent, um, and other authority figures way beyond their influence at the same time. Hmm. So sort of that, that other axis, that paradox that is in the same space. Mm. And I can give you examples. Um, some of them when, um, that I've heard over the years of working seven years at Haven House. So I'm, I've been uh, meeting with children in spiritual direction for about seven years. Mm. And I've heard countless stories. And, and a lot of times these children have had parents who um, haven't been able to give them the love and attention that they need. Mm. And I have heard miraculous stories. I mean, I've heard I, I, uh, one little boy, I think I tell this story in the book. Uh, his father was being arrested after some uh, battery um, happening uh, in the home. And he had this experience where he saw God's mom peeking around the corner. That was his language, God's mm. mom. And, you know, I grew up Southern Baptist. We don't have a theology for God's mom. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and so really the spirit just kind of had to pull me in and, and let me know this isn't your story. So, mm. you know, stay at the elbow of this child. Mm. And it was through, I, I have no idea what he saw. And we have to remember that for, for all of us, not only for children, there's a difference um, often between what is factual and what is true. So let's maybe keep that held. Um, and, and his experience of seeing God's mom opened him to conversation with God. Mm. Um, I've, I've heard stories from adults. There's mm. lots and lots of stories from adults um, who have had, uh, one in particular, who had had uh, dreams as a child. Her, uh, her father was uh, in the military, uh, um, a sergeant, I believe, in the military. And so her picture of God was, could, could have been formed very harshly and rigid and distant. But she had a series of dreams over the course of her childhood where this adult would come and play for, with her, read stories to her, mm. eat meals with her. So I think we can't also limit um, God's deep love for every human being. Mm -hmm. While our parenting and our, um, our being with children certainly shapes their picture of God, it is not limited by it. Yeah, that's a relief because uh, how many, uh, when I read that, I was like, man, how many times do I mess up on a regular basis you know and like and then you can like add so much pressure to yourself if you think that like you know she has she looks at me and she's gonna see god so if i mess up then that's the kind of the end yeah. of the end of the world <laughs> and maybe, maybe we can also think about what is what is god's purpose in connecting with human beings mm -hmm. 
And it's not to make us perfect, clearly, or we would have gone a different route. Yeah. It is to be in relationship. Hmm. So the, the times when you, so to cultivate a deep connection with her hmm. will shape her image of God to uh, Emmanuel, God yeah. with us. Hmm. So as you are with her, and it, it doesn't take your perfection it takes your presence. And, and so when you, let's say that, you know, I, gosh, I could use a thousand um, instances from the last few weeks with my two teenage daughters. Um, but when I mess up and there becomes a distance between us, mm. if I come and say, I'm sorry, man, I really messed that up. And I'm sorry, I didn't, I didn't listen to you well in that, or I didn't respond in a way that was loving. And I'm very sorry with, about that. Will you forgive me? And we reconcile. You see, in the reconciliation is connection. And that is essentially yeah. what God is looking for. Mm. So maybe not perfection, presence. Yeah, I like that. And now that you're talking, I'm thinking back over the last last week. When I, when I put Jordan down at night, um, we sing Jesus Loves Me. And then we, we always pray. And what I've been praying lately, she's been having some um, some dreams like about spiders and things like that, that she's been waking up crying. So I've been praying, um, you know, that Jesus would meet her in her dreams and that they would um, play together and her princesses would be there. She loves the Disney princesses and stuff. So the other morning she said, I asked her, um, you know, did, who did you see in your dreams last night? And she said, I saw Jesus. And I said, Oh, I said, well, what did you and Jesus do? And she said, well, we, we played blocks and he tickled me and we giggled and now that you're talking, you know, I had somebody say to me um, the next day when I told them the story, they said, well, who, who plays blocks with her the most and who tickles her the most? And they said, probably daddy. And so they pointed out to me, you know, there's your daughter recognizing Christ in you and then Christ meeting her in her dreams at night through that memory, through that experience. And, it, and isn't that ph phenomenal? Yeah. That is absolutely transformative. I mean, mm. that is forming and shaping how she experiences God now yeah. and also how she will experience God in the future. Hmm. So, so talk to me a little bit about the power of asking. Um, you talk about this in your book. Um, you say, and there's a quote, let's see, when we accompany a child in their life with God, asking questions acknowledges the autonomy of the child. So maybe take us deeper to that because I sense even in myself with my daughter that I'm already at this point where I'm anticipating what her questions are going to be about God when she, even maybe what they are now as a three-year-old, but as she grows to five, you know, 10 teenager and try to think about like, how am I going to answer this question about God? Mm. If she asks me, but it seems after reading your book and just thinking about, it, I guess it's common sense too, that a better approach might be like the Jesus approach to respond to her question with a question of my own in order to kind of push the power back into her hands so that she can use her own imagination to cross or to come up with her own understanding of God. Is that kind mm -hmm. of in the right, like the right track of thinking with this? Mm -hmm. You know, I think of um, St. Ignatius, um, his quote mm -hmm. that um, our, our goal and our job is to get the creature in touch with the creator. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so uh, often when children and even my own children ask me questions, um, we've, we've just had a, a robust um, wondering together <clears throat> mm. around what is hell. Mm. So 
well, is that huge or what? There's a big question. <laughs> I know, I know. I was like, oh boy. Um, well, is is hell real? What yeah. do, who goes? Who doesn't go? You know, all this, and and I mean, where we are in our um, understanding of that concept mm. is different along different parts of our life, and how does yeah. it serve us? So all of these things are flooding through my head as my child asked me this, my teenager. And I thought that that phrase by Ignatius came back to me. You get the creature in touch with the creator. Mm. So I said, I wonder if you might ask God about that. <laughs> See what he tells you. <laughs> yeah. I wonder. I wonder. Are there some passages from the light? And this is, of course, for older children. But are there some, and, and children that have been exposed to Jesus. So mm. are there some passages from Jesus's life that might tell you something mm. about this? So in a lot of ways, we, we let Jesus enliven their imagination and yeah. meet them where they are. Because my, and, and gosh, it's so hard. And I, and I have to confess that I didn't do this as well as I would, I would have liked to have. <laughs> because I was just like, oh, you know, I have lots of theology around <laughs> hell that I could really want to visit upon her. Mm. And yet God was going to meet her in her developmental level mm. and in her spiritual level, where she is, what she can understand. Mm. And so we talked about, you know, that um, we talked about first uh, Corinthians 13 and the, this is what God is like. Mm. So as, as you think about hell, what does that mean? And who, and all of that square it up with this in your mm. own conversations with God. Mm. So, um, and that is such a hard thing to do. It is so hard um, to release our children to their own spiritual journey. <laughs> it reminds me of this quote from George MacDonald. Um, can I read it? Yes, please. Please do. Yeah, it is, uh, a parent must respect the spiritual person of his or her child mm. and approach it with reverence. Mm. For that too looks the father in the face and has an audience with him into which no earthly parent can enter, even he dared to desire it. Hmm. And that, that is, hmm. yeah, that my child, your child, has an audience with the Father yeah. that you and I can only catch a glimpse of. So, of course, as much as we can, we enable them and give them the tools to have their relationship and not have ours. Mm. Yeah. That's a, that's a, such a good point too. Cause like when I think back over my own, my own faith journey, especially like in school and seminary and things like that, like the moments I remember the most are not the classrooms where I sat down for a lecture and I listened to the professor tell me something or teach me something about God, but it's in those quieter moments like maybe in the office of my advisor or in the office of a professor who was helping me through something and the questions that they asked me um and the moments where they didn't tell me kind of the answer but they asked me different questions to maybe try to draw the answer out of me that was already buried somewhere deep inside or ask me a question then send me away you know <laughs> to go alone with god and try to figure it out like you did with your daughter and you know, like why don't you ask God about hell and see what God says? You know, so I think it's like those moments. Like I can, I have 
I can think of 10 probably on the spot of those moments, whereas I can barely remember what one of the lectures was about in school. And I think the difference is, is that questions invite us to encounter. Yeah. And questions invite us to encounter with the person before us. And also an open-ended question will invite us to encounter with God. Hmm. And, and encounter shapes and forms us above information. So information is good, hmm. but, but it will, it, we can think our way out of lots of things. Yeah. But we don't encounter our way out of many things. Hmm. Encounters stick with us. They have a, m- many reasons. And one is that they're just, they include so many more dimensions of the self. So encount- information is primarily housed in the mind. Hmm. and thoughts and sometimes feelings um but encounter takes body it takes spirit it takes feelings it takes thoughts it's social context hmm. and all of those dimensions of the self activate really all the all, our whole brain in yeah. that way yeah so what are some ways that like thinking on a practical level like what are some ways that parents can try to um integrate these encounters into everyday life with their kids and with their families. Like we talked about conversation around the dinner table, like asking these different kinds of questions. Are there any other things that you found successful in raising your own kids that you can maybe uh, lend to parents who are listening to borrow for their own? (laughs) Sure. Sure. You know, one of the things when my children were young, um, one of the things that was so important to us is we had a space set aside in our home, almost like a tent of meeting. Mm, mm. <laughs> and in fact, it was a SpongeBob SquarePants tent. Nice. Small. <laughs> <laughs> and in it, we had a battery powered lantern and some ways of responding to God. Mm. And can, that can be, you know, like a finger labyrinth. Um, you know, children are so bodily, so they've got yeah. to get their bodies in on their, on their life with God, or it might be crayons or water, water, um, uh, watercolors or, you know, mm. those sort of tactile ways. And so if any point during the day, um, someone wanted to remove themselves kind of from what's happening in the house, they could go to this place and be quiet with God. Mm. And it wasn't time out. You know, one got ever got sent there. Mm. Um, it was just a place that they could go. Mm. Um, and, um, so that's one is set, you know, give, give, um, intentional encounter with God, some physical space in your home. Hmm. Um, for, for teens, um, right now we have, because we're, we're, we're lamenting in our house. Um, Hmm. COVID has taken away all summer camps. My oldest daughter had to come home from college and finish here. They're, they're sad and angry. Hmm. So encounter with God right now looks like a notebook on the coffee table that anybody can pick up at any time and write their laments. Mm. And it's a place to, I mean, we also have some markers and things because we, we, because visual and pictures and color sometimes speaks more than the words we can put to it. Yeah. And so it's a place where you can go and sit on the um, couch. And if you have that book in your hand, no one's going to bother you. Mm. And it's a place of prayer of lament and, and and wondering, there's so much uncertainty. Hmm. So really, kind of following in the way of the Psalms. So giving giving encounter with God, physical space in your home, yeah. whatever that might look like. 
Mm. And the other is with young children, begin, and, I'm, and this may sound a little funny, but begin to talk with God out loud. Mm. So we have this, this idea that God hears us, those of us who have been um, sort of raised in church, that God hears us and we're praying and we're talking with God when our eyes are closed, our head is bowed, and we're very still. Right. But that's, <laughs> that's a very limited. It's good. It's right there for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it's a limited understanding of God's presence to us. Yeah. So I can remember um, we, we homeschooled our children um, uh, probably because we are mentally unstable. It was just, it was so <laughs> difficult to do. <laughs> I'm not sure I would recommend it to anyone. It, you just it enjoy good. the challenge. <laughs> oh my goodness. We certainly, oh, it was so hard. And so, and so good, like all things. So, yeah. but anyway, so when they were at home, one time I found myself just really resting my head on the kitchen table and praying out loud, oh God, please help me. I don't know how to educate these, my children, and um, I, I'm hardly keeping my own marbles together here mm. today. And it was funny um, that my youngest daughter, she sat down next to me, and she just started praying aloud, too. Yeah, God, she's having a really hard time with this. And um, it, was, it was such a, a pivotal shift in my understanding mm. that... If I give everyday space to God's presence, my children will too. Like they see it in you, you model it for them. Right. And it can be simple things like, wow, this is a really beautiful flower outside. Thank you, God. Thank you for the color pink and the purple center. Just those simple kinds of ways helps to shape our children's understanding of where God is. I guess the key there then would be, like you said, like we said that you have to model it for them. So like, for instance, like the, the tent of meeting, like it's not necessarily just, this is your tent to go to for you to interact with God, or this is your journal to write in and to lament, or this is your poster board, but almost like make it like a family dynamic so that your child can see that, Oh, mom and dad do this as well. And so kind of following in your footsteps. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and the other is noticing, too, that children, their experience of God, their, their mother tongue is play. Mm. So they will, they will, in their toys, um, play out their deepest longings. And mm. that's, a peti- that's a prayer of petition. Mm. They're asking God for something. Mm. Um, they'll play out their woundedness often, something that they'll play out their anxiety. Well, that's a, that's a petitionary prayer. God, I'm afraid. Hmm. So in those ways, children are, you know, play is how they pray. Hmm. Hmm. And the younger the child, the more that's true. Yeah. I guess then too, to an observant parent, if you're observing how your child is playing, uh, that can kind of key you into what their fears and anxieties might be that they're not able to voice. Absolutely. Which can then give you insight, not only to how to help them, but also how to pray for them. Exactly. Exactly. And the toys that that we choose, I mean, it matters, the toys. Yeah. Um, They almost have to be just boring enough um, that they can um, uh, project what's happening into them onto the toy Mm. um, rather than the toy playing it for them. 
Hmm. So, you know, electronic toys, I hate to rally uh, against them um, because my children love to game right now. Yeah. Um, uh, in fact, in fact, this is an, it seems like an anomaly, but they are, they are playing, um, like zombie killer games right now. Yeah. And some of it has to do with them working through and processing their anxiety about what's happening. So Hmm. just noticing that and that's their own, um, for my, my older children, I just, you know, invite them to, to, uh, reflect on, I wonder why this is helping you feel better. It's funny. The last couple of days, I've noticed that Jordan, we, we play dolls all the time. She has all the Disney princesses, Anna, Elsa, Jasmine, Belle, Ariel, all of them. And yeah. uh, other than constantly changing their dresses, because she likes to put different dresses on different dolls, um, she's been really focused on having like one of them be the doctor and like a nurse and one of them being yeah. sick. And she talks about the bad sickness because she knows that because of COVID, we can't do what we normally would do. We can't go to the playground. We can't go to the splash pad. We don't go to the stores because of the bad sickness. And so she has one of the princes being the doctor who's kind of curing people of the bad sickness. And I, I, I'm now that you're talking, I'm wondering if that's one of her anxieties or maybe one of the things that makes her most sad is that we're not able to do the things that we used to, that we usually do. And so she's kind of playing that out in her dolls. Mm-hmm. And it's her prayer. Yeah. That is her prayer. God, who, who are you going to send to take yeah. care of us? Man, I just got chills. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Is, is it, and so we can kind of see yeah. what George McDonald was talking about. You mm. caught a glimpse of what is happening internally with her yeah. and what she is bringing to Jesus as you help her build that container. But you, you only caught a glimpse. What is there is, is an, is an ocean really. Yeah. Of God's love. Yeah. And the innocence of that, right? Because like we don't, we often, I mean, you went to seminary, you did all the things like we overcomplicate God, right? With our systematic theologies and our thick books and this verse is that, and that verse is this. And she's, unaware of any of those things and yet she is constructing this prayer and she's constructing this theology of god that puts all those books to shame if you think about it <laughs> oh a- absolutely yeah. and 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 her her simple witness it invites you all yeah to that kind of encounter and trust wow it gives all new meaning to jesus's words to become like little children right yeah isn't it isn't yeah it? Now you talk in the book on, on that verse, you, you mentioned, um, I forget the exact kind of quote, but you talk about how uh, Jesus says to let the children come to me, showing that there's this built in wired desire to be connected mm-hmm. to God. Was that right? Yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah, we are, we are wired for not only physical and um, emotional connection yeah. uh, with humans, but we are wired for connection with God. Mm. That's sort of, that's absolutely built into us. Mm. And, uh, and, and, and there's a wonderful longitudinal study done by the Religious Education Research Unit. It's like they started it in the 70s. It's still going. Mm. So inviting people to write about their experiences of God and the, ma- the majority of those experiences happened to people in childhood. So the ones they chose, chose to write about happened to people in childhood. 
And um, the experiences where someone, they were able to tell someone about it mm. and they felt heard, acknowledged and encouraged. Those people were still having relationship and with God into adulthood. Mm. But the ones who didn't have someone to do that or, or never talked about it, they, they don't have much of a faith today as, mm. as adults. They don't have much of a faith. Mm. So it's interesting that everyone is having these, mm. that God is reaching out, longing, encountering children yeah. through goodness, beauty, truth, wonder, uh, you know, many different um, sort of experiential fingerprints. Mm. Um, but it's only the ones who have someone that can really help them to hear themselves that continue to have the relationship. So if, if children as, as, when they're young, if they don't have that connection, they might have a harder time as they grow older. They do. Being connected with God. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What can parents do? Like I'm thinking about people who I, who I know, who I'm, I'm friends with, who have children who have been through rather traumatic things, maybe with one parent or the other. And is there something that the parent who... Let's say one of the parents left or one of the parents was very absent. Like, is there something that the parent who is still there, the parent who is now the sole caregiver, like can do to make sure that that connection that maybe was broken when the Mm -hmm. child was younger can maybe be reestablished now through the one more dominant parent or will that happen naturally or? Yeah, I I think uh, uh, you use one little phrase and um, that um, reminds me and sort of touches this place in me about how important mystery is. Mm. So, I mean, the, the phrase, make sure we mm. really want to be able to make sure. And yet human persons are a mystery. Yeah. Oh, uh, and it's such a, it's such a thing. <laughs> Trust me. I have yeah. a middle, I have a high school and a college student. I would love to make sure anything right, right yes. now. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Let me write the script for you of how your life is going to work. <laughs> please, <laughs> <Yeah>. please. <laughs> I have such great insights, Yeah. but it's, it really is. Anytime we sort of feel ourselves wanting to nail those edges down, it's always the in, invitation of God to us. Will you trust me with the thing you love most in the world? Yeah. Will you trust me with this person that you love most in the world? Mm. And it it reminds me always that even as I attend to the spiritual lives of my children, the best that I can, that I must attend to mine. Mm. That's an invitation to trust, Lacey. Yeah. Do you trust me? So so back to your question about what can this uh, person do when um, they've, there's been a severing. Mm-hmm. of uh, the person that shapes the picture of God of the child. And it, two things. One is to remember that even in the midst of difficulty, and this, is, this can be, this is found in research, that God definitely still reaches out to children. Yeah. That in the, I mean, the children that I meet with at Haven House, their lives have been incredibly disrupted. Mm. And what they, how they have experienced God is nothing short of miraculous in mm. many instances, um, in many instances. So, so really being able to um, cultivate your own trust that God has not been thwarted 
by human weakness and wounded mm. woundedness. God will not be thwarted mm. by human weakness and woundedness. Mm. And the second is, as the parent remains, stays present, fully present to the child, and continue to ask them, continue to be present, asking them, you know, checking in with them. Um, how are they doing? Um, how are you experiencing God? Or, or even, um, you know, I don't know how old the child is, but being able to, to, to give them a chance to give voice to their woundedness. Yeah. How was this for you? Hmm. Um, I think of a really simple, um, uh, just kind of a mnemonic device to remind us to B-O-W. And B is bodily. So when we ask our children open-ended questions and we're with them, we want to be sure that our bodies <clears throat> uh, reflect and send the message that we are fully present. Yeah. And that means setting aside our devices. Um, for me, with my adolescent children, that means making sure my arms and legs are uncrossed, that I'm not mm. sending the, <laughs> <Yep>. the bodily <laughs> message. Listen, I've already got this sorted out for you and me. Can you please hurry up so I can tell you what to do now? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Right. But there's, you know, there's a way for some children who are comfortable with touch, with help, with, you know, safe touch, yep. it means touching them. Hmm. Um, for children, um, there are three, three things that have to, again, research tells us there are three things that have to be present for a child to feel loved. And it's actually not the words, I love you. It's hmm. three things to hear them. To, to set aside our agenda, when, a, when an adult sets aside their agenda and fully hears what a child is saying, letting them finish their sentences. Mm. And, and the second is to acknowledge the hearing, so to repeat back to them uh, bits of what they've said so that they know or rephrasing it so they know that we heard them. Yeah. And the third is touch, so mm. touching them on their elbow, giving them a hug, if you do those three things, a child feels the sensation of being loved. Mm. So that's why that body piece in B is so important. Yeah. And then the O is openness. I mean, can we, and what would it look like as adults for us to cultivate an incredible openness to be ready to receive whatever they say? Mm that sort of unmitigated positive regard. Yeah. I will think and love you no matter what comes out of your mouth. Mm. And then the, four, the third in bow, B-O-W, is wonder. Can we hold that sense of wonder about what is God doing in your life that I can't even see? That we never let that go, that sense of wonder, no matter how difficult it could be, or how frustrated or how separated we feel that God is always at work, always yeah. at work. And can we wonder about that? Wow. Well, Lacey, we are just about out of time. Uh, but on that note, uh, you have left me with a lot to think about. So uh, thank you for taking the time to come on to the show and chat with me. Oh, it's so good to be with you. And I'm just going to be thinking of your little one and her dreams of Jesus. <laughs> I love that. Thank you. And it's not very often when I have like a, when I record an episode with somebody that I actually have like 
you know, like a revelation in the midst of the conversation, but I've had at least two or three of them that have left me kind of speechless on my end of the mic, trying to figure out how to, how to craft the, uh, the thought that is coming into my mind. So seriously, thank you for your work because there's not, I mean, there's obviously a lot of work out there about, you know, talking to your kids and stuff about God, but not necessarily in the way that you do it. So thank you for that. It was a gift to be with you today. Great conversation. Thanks. And before you go, where can people find you online? Uh, you can find me at www.gooddirtministries.org. Good dirt. I like yep. it. What's the, what's the, what's the, uh, the thought behind that? Good dirt ministries. Uh, well, I mean, I think about us tending our own soul soil yeah. yep. and we also tend our children's soul soil as well. I like it. I like it. Well, I will put that link in the show notes so people can go and find you. And maybe we can do this again sometime because I have more questions. Maybe one of my daughters, four and then five, you can come on every year. Walk me through. <laughs> <laughs> we'll walk together. We'll walk together. That'd be perfect. Well, you have a good afternoon, Lacey. Stay safe. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Okay. Take it slowly. This book is dangerous. Fox socks, box knocks, knocks in box and fox in socks. Knocks on fox in socks in box. Socks on knocks and knocks in box. Fox in socks on box on knocks. Chicks with bricks come, chicks with blocks come. Chicks with bricks and blocks and clocks come. Look, sir, look, sir, Mr. Knoxer. Let's do tricks with bricks and blocks, sir. Let's do tricks with chicks and clocks, sir. First, I'll make a quick trick, brick stack. Then I'll make a quick trick, block stack. You can make a quick trick, chick stack. You can make a quick trick, clock stack. And here's a new trick, Mr. Knox. It's called socks on chicks and chicks on fox. Fox on clocks on bricks and blocks. Bricks and blocks on clocks on fox. Now we come to the ticks and tops, sir. Try to say this one, Mr. Knox, sir. Clocks on fox tick, clocks on knocks talk. Six sick bricks tick, six sick chicks talk. Please, sir. Gooey, gooey, blue goo, new goo, gluey, gooey, 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 goo
Our game is done, sir. Thank you for a lot of fun, sir. 